0: This is Michael Cowan and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation.
1: You need to show people the worst possible harm that that negligence could have caused because that's what the case is about. What I'm asking you to do is to focus on what you can control because that's where the power lies. The Dalai Lama uh,
2: has a saying that in the face of anger, justice evaporates.
1: If you can't focus group it, you have to be very, very critical of your process.
2: The facts aren't good, you can't create a miracle.
0: We can agree to disagree and be zealous advocates for our clients.
2: Quit worrying about looking perfect. You're not going to. That'll come in time. But you can still be an effective litigator.
3: Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation, your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan.
2: Today on Trial Law Nation, we actually have our first returning guest. We have Sari Delamotte. Sari, how are you doing today?
1: Good, I'm your first returning guest. That's kind of special, I love it.
2: You you are, we're going into our third season and we finally have got enough where we have, we feel like there's. you're the first of several people that we've uh, talked to. This is also our 50th episode. Uh, oh,
1: very cool, well congratulations
2: and we just passed our 100,000th download. So it's an exciting time. Uh, Awesome. And we've got a lot of great comments on yours. But the other thing is, I had the privilege of working with you all day yesterday, and I thought, man, you have so much to share that it's helping me, and I think it could also help our listeners. So thank you for coming on.
1: Absolutely, love to be here.
2: So since uh, we last spoke, you have published a book.
1: I have, yes. I think we talked about it, that it was coming out uh, at that time, and it is here. It came out in uh, November.
2: And what's the name of the book?
1: From Hostage to Hero Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free.
2: And what do you mean by From Hostage to Hero?
1: So we talked about this a little bit last time. Is you know, you, when I first got into this world, I really recognized that there was a lot of things that trial ne- uh, trial lawyers needed to learn, and there was all this stuff about juror decision making and how to present well and how to do direct or exam or year or opening, you know, all this stuff. And it was all really great stuff, but there was something that no one was really addressing or talking about, and that's the fact that jurors don't want to be there. And so when yeah. I started to really get into that and get into the meat of that, then I realized that affected everything. That affected the decisions that they're making and that affected the way they were showing up and then that of course affected the way the lawyers were showing up and that that was the crux of everything. And if we could first look at Why don't they wanna be there and understand them and where they're coming from? And I'm not talking about their worldview and how they feel about the case, that comes later. I mean the very essential nature that they do not want to be there. And how do we deal with that first and foremost? We could then help lead them from their hostageness, meaning their inability to say no to this process, to them choosing themselves want to become heroes. And the reason that I picked hero, besides that it makes it really great title, (laughs) is that heroes take selfless action that doesn't benefit them personally. And isn't that what we asked jurors to do? So it, it really just made sense in my mind. And as I kind of delved further into the concept, it started to make more and more sense. And I did a lot of research on it. And now the book's out and I'm finding that a lot of other people think it makes sense too, which I'm thrilled about.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because when I first started working with you and I heard your hostage a hero thing, the first thing I thought of was Carl Bettinger's book, Twelve Heroes, One Voice, which is got a similar goal of moving people to doing heroic things, but uh, you know, you have a very uh different take on it in that you I think you delve a lot more into detail. I mean, Carl's got a great book but it's a thin book. But you actually told me you ha- you actually purposely did not read Carl's book first.
1: I didn't. I, I had read a, you know, a bunch over the years and people kept saying, Have you read Carl's book? And as I started writing the book, I thought, I should read that and I thought, you know what, I don't want anybody's uh, voice in my head, especially on a similar topic. And so now that the book's published, I sat down and I <laughs> started reading it and I'm like, Oh my God, this is such a great book. I'm just highly recommend Carl's book and what he's doing and, and I'm gonna actually reach out to him soon and let him know how much I adored his book. I, I think the diff the big differences between our books is that he does such a great job with the hero story and how to bring that out my book really focuses on the hostageness part of um the hero or of, the, of the jurors and releasing them from that so they can become the heroes that you need and of course my my way of doing that is through nonverbal intelligence but yeah highly recommend carl's book i'm so glad i'm reading it now
2: yeah that his book was a real game changer for me and for me just the whole idea of it just kind of changed my mindset from me presenting facts and me being the hero of the story almost, cause I'm going to go and save the day and be the, the big, big dog in the courtroom to changing my mindset. It's all about the jury. It's about trying to motivate them to do something heroic. Uh, but then working with you, it's really helping me. Okay, well, how do I actually make this work practically? Uh, you know, Carl's book is great, but it's just a book. Whereas with you, you're, you know, teaching me how to talk to people, how, Gestures, movement, facial expressions, you know, what, what does this stuff?
1: Yeah, I think that's um, a, a, a big point. I think that's a big point because so many people, the number one thing they say after working with me is useful and practical. And I think that's a lot of what's missing. There's a lot of theory out there in the trial lawyer world. There's a lot of great ideas out there. But what I'm hearing continually from my clients and my audience members is how do we do this? how do we, this is all great stuff, but how do we do this? So, you know, obviously writing about nonverbal communication isn't the easiest thing. I feel like I did a fairly good job, uh, but my whole point always, and that's because I'm a teacher first um, and, and and was teaching for years before I got into this world, is how do I make this usable for people? Because my my big point and in trying to help you at at you being trial lawyers is not to just give you these great ideas you can chew on so you think I'm brilliant but that you can actually go out and do this stuff because that's where the rubber meets the road and that's where success lies is actually in the courtroom boots on the ground and and I'm so glad to hear that that you're finding it practical and useful that's really what I'm striving to do
2: well I want to talk a little bit about you know you have a fairly uh... I don't want to say unique because there's some other people that have something similar and they call it what a like an inclusive wardire where your your purpose rather than trying to get rid of people is trying to form a group and find your tribe. Uh, but you you do have your own way of, of doing it, and it's really your your wardire seems to be on trying to find your good jurors, find your teams rather than uh, just trying to exclude all the bad jurors. And, yes. you know, there's a lot of debate in this. And, you know, my personal experience is like for years, I tried doing exclusionary dire, And I think because of the which is where you're trying to strike people for cause because you don't mm-hmm. need to be good jurors for you. But because of the hostage mentality, I think what I really did is I got rid of all the people who didn't want to be there, who were smart enough to figure out, OK, if I answer this question this way, I won't be here. Uh, whether it he really would have been for me or against me in the trial.
1: Exactly. Yeah, because the number one decision that a hostage wants to figure out the, the answer to is how the hell do I get out of here? So when you provide when you come in with the mindset of, you know, who here is out to kill me? And how do I kill them first? Uh that is like a, a poison and a disease that you kind of sneeze all over. It's to be gross. <laughs> the jury and yeah. they get infected by that. And they're like, well, he doesn't he's looking for who wants to get out of here. I'm going to go along with that. And I want to get out of here, too. Now, <clears throat> when people say that I have an inclusionary void versus an exclusionary, I, I really don't agree with that wording in that my voir is set up to get you the best panel possible and that includes getting rid of jurors however the the bent or the doorway that I want you to walk through is to come into the court with the mindset of there are people here that want to help me who are they and as you go looking for those people the people who are not for you naturally show up as well based in my method, and you of course you get rid of them. but it's all about setting the tone, which is I've got a job to do here, and I need people to help me do that job, and so I'm looking for those people. you know in the book I talk about how it's kind of like you know deciding you need a paralegal and you put out the job ad and then as the as the uh, resumes come in, you furiously go through them looking for all the people who would not be a good fit. I mean, how much sense does that make? Of course, as I come along the resume and I see someone who doesn't fit, I'm gonna toss it. But what my point is looking through the resumes is who's a good fit. As I come along to the bad ones, I get rid of them. But my whole goal, my whole mindset, my whole process is I'm looking for someone who can help me grow my practice and and help me work in my business. And that's what I believe you have to do as trial attorneys. I don't think you guys understand the power that you have. You have the power to affect how this situation plays out just by how you show up non-verbally and in your mindset. You set the tone at trial. And when you come in scared and freaked out and who's going to kill me, you set that tone and then everything goes to hell.
2: You know, I think the mindset thing is so important that I kind of want to jump into that before we start talking about voir Dyer. Uh, our voir dire, uh and opening statement and, and the other stuff you work on. And uh you and I are working together. You're uh we, we're doing a coaching thing. Um and it's not just on the nonverbal and openings and stuff, but you're actually making me do work on the self uh instead of just trial skills.
1: Why is that? Well I'm not making you, Michael. Okay, you're uh you're <laughs> encouraging me <laughs> Yes, now you have hired me as your personal coach. I rarely take one-on-one clients, but you talked me into it. And uh, I have a few of you. And yes, I you know, I I think this is something that really came up big in my work. I've been now in this world for about 15 years, and what I realized, um, uh, you know, very early, it was all about skills. And people came to me to quote-unquote increase their nonverbal intelligence i was known as the nonverbal intelligence expert and you know over the years i've become the group dynamics expert the jury expert what have you and i and i was very successful with that and people were very happy with my work however what i kept seeing over and over again was that the skills were not enough meaning all of the trial attorneys i've worked with have thought patterns that are holding them back and you know what's funny about this is that all of the things you got you guys all think you're unique snowflakes and you all are of course in your own way but you all think the same things it's amazing to me how all, all of you think you're an imposter or that someone's gonna figure out you don't know what the hell you're doing or you know that you're not enough or that when you win a trial you just got lucky or so on and so forth and so I really saw this as a huge part of the next place my work was going to go, which is why I went back and got my coaches training because that's a totally different skill. And now when you come to work with me, if you're coming to work, uh, you know, I got a guy coming and he's going to be with me for a week, um, not next week, but the following week. He's going to get trial consulting, but boy, is he going to get a lot of coaching, too, because I really believe how you're. Thinking affects how you act, which affects your results. You know, there's a um, a model by the coach, uh, Brooke Castillo. Actually, I put this in the book, and it's called the uh, CTFAR model. And so what that is, is the C stands for circumstance. That is, let, let's just put a, a circumstance in there, like, you you lost a trial. Then the T is what you choose to think about it. So if you think, well, I suck as a trial attorney, That's going to produce the F line, which is the feeling, which is scared, um, despair, you know, depression, whatever that may be, which will then create an action, which is, you know, not going to trial, not advancing, which gets you your result, which is the R line, which is the, you know, I don't go to trial anymore. I sell all my cases because I'm too scared because I lost that one trial. And the whole point of the model is that you can choose to put something different in your T line. So if you lose at trial, you can choose to think, man, I learned so much. I'm going to do things differently. And that produces a different feeling, which is, man, I'm excited for my next trial, which produces different actions, which is I'm going to take some shit to trial, which gets you a different result, meaning you're going to become a better trial attorney. So for me, it's not enough to just teach you how to gesture, how to modulate your voice and do all those things. It's to kind of tinker in your head and go, what's going on up there? So that we can get you not only thinking correctly, but as you said, Michael, balancing out your whole life. Because I see so many of you selling your soul <laughs> for this work that you've chosen. And I firmly believe that you can be a happy, well-balanced individual and a trial attorney, although that may be the unique snowflake. But I don't believe it, and I'm, I'm on a mission <laughs> I'm on a mission to change that.
2: Well, I hope you can change it with me because I'm working <laughs> on it.
1: <laughs> well, you are working on it. I love it.
2: Uh, and so what are the things that, the the negative thoughts that would go into that ETFAR model uh, that would interfere with us in Bordire?
1: Yeah, great question. So I think one of the things is that we we say one thing, but we're thinking a different thing. So many trial attorneys will come out and stand in front of the uh, the panel or front of the jury panel, and they'll say, "I want you to trust me. I hope that you um, can you open up and you talk to me. You're the most talkative people in the room." And then we're holding the thought pattern: "There's someone here who's going to kill me. There's someone here who's going to get out. You know, let me kill you first and so the point is is that you cannot do both meaning your real thoughts will get leaked out non-verbally and the jurors will see it for what it is you know just working with you yesterday michael uh, we talked about incongruent right so when you're smiling and you're saying talking about a death right you send an incongruent message to the jury and the same thing is here you can say i want you to trust me i'm here to lead you out of this mess but if you're thinking Yet I'm scared of you guys and I, you know, I only want you to talk because once you talk, I'm going to kill you if you say the wrong thing. The jurors are getting that, whether you're saying that out loud or not. And so that I would would say is the number one negative thought pattern that we walk into, juror, into jury selection looking at the jurors as if they are the enemy. And then we treat them as if they are the enemy. And guess what? The jurors will happily meet you there and they will act as the enemy. And I think we have so much power to turn that around by just changing the way we think. Like I said earlier, showing up and saying, there are people here who want to help. Where are they? Where's my people? Where are you? And designing a that that.
2: That has been such a big revelation in my life is that I actually have the power to change the way I think about something, although it's not easy. This
0: is Michael Cowan. I'd like to invite you to attend our first Facebook live session this month. On Tuesday, January 28th at noon central time, I'm hosting a Facebook live session exclusively for our Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle members. This will provide you with a chance to ask me questions live. And I'm also gonna be able to answer some questions that you've sent in that I'm not able to answer on the show. The fact is this show is listened to by many lawyers, some of whom are defense lawyers and you guys are welcome to listen, but there's some topics that I just don't wanna talk about in front of you. Uh, So if you're a member of Trial Lawyer Nation's Insider Circle, it means you've been screened, we know you're a plaintiff lawyer, and we can feel a lot more comfortable having an open uh, and frank discussion on certain sensitive topics. If you're not a member of Trial Lawyer Nation's Insider Circle, and you're eligible, I encourage you to search for the group on Facebook, request to join the group, and then answer the three simple screening questions we have. This allows us to keep the group to just plaintiff lawyers and maintain a safe space to openly discuss the topics in our minds. And uh, to you defense lawyers, we do check your profile, we do check your website, so uh, you're welcome to listen to the podcast, but don't cheat and try to join the Insider Circle. Again, that Facebook Live session will be on Tuesday, January 28th at noon Central Time in our Trial Lawyer Nation's Insider Circle private group on Facebook. I hope you'll join us, and now, back to the show.
2: How do we change the way we think about
1: something? It's really down to consistency, so if we think about neuro um, pathways, for example, coaching and you know I just um Launched in the end of December, for example, um, a badass coaching program for women trial attorneys. And it sold out in two weeks. I'm so excited to have these nine women join me um, next week for a six-month coaching program. And I had, they all had to go through interviews before they got accepted into the program because it's going to be a real rigorous program. And I was just gobsmacked that none of these nine very professional, advanced in their career women have never had coaching ever. And I just thought, oh my word, this is the problem here. Because co- here's what coaching does coaching takes your neural pathways that are well-worn into your brain and helps you create new neural pathways. So if you remember when you were a kid and there was that um, baseball field that you always knew the, you know, the back way to, and there was this well-worn trail by all the kids that they knew how to go there the back way. That's kind of like the neural pathways in your brain now and so when you have the old ways of thinking because that path is so worn down it's just easy the if the brain fires so quickly what coaching does is says we need to create a new path and it's kind of like you know being waist-high weeds. And for the first couple months of being with your coach, you're kind of stomping those weeds down. And every time you go back over them, they get a little bit pressed down, a little bit pressed down, a little bit pressed down until you start creating a new worn path. And so coaching is, is really helping you create a new way of thinking. You know, even if you don't have a coach, you can do this on your own. Every time you start to think something you don't want to think, you can catch it. And, and decide, I think it's what most people don't get, I can choose to think something different here. You know, I was listening to um, Brooke Castillo. She's a wonderful um, coach. And she was saying, the way you think about yourself determines how you, your entire life. And here's the other great thing, is that you can think anything you want to think. Meaning you can think, I am the best trial attorney in the world, and there is nothing Anyone can do about it. (laughs) There's nothing anyone can come and go. You can't think that you're not the best trial attorney in the world. I mean, they can tell you you're not the best trial attorney in the world, but they can't stop you from thinking it. And I believe firmly that if every attorney listening to this podcast right now started thinking those things, even if they didn't believe it first. We would create more Nick Rowley's, Jerry Spence, whatever, whoever your hero is in the next six months and destroy the defense bar. But the problem is you guys think it's all about skills. So you're flying from CLE to CLE and buying all the books. And yes, buy my book, of course. But my point (laughs) is you're just frantic for the next new thing when if you only realize your greatness, that's it. Then you add skills on top of that we got it made in the shade, but you guys got it backwards. You got it backwards. So you have the power to change your thoughts. And really it's all about, you know, hire a coach if you need one, but it's all about catching that thought and saying, I'm choosing to think something else. So yes, it takes practice and it takes consistency.
2: Yeah. And it takes the mindfulness of recognizing, wait, I'm having this thought that's an incorrect thought. I need to remind myself. And for me, it's just telling them, I just have to like, I have a trial coming up in a week and a half, and I just have to remind myself that jurors are good people. Yep. They want to do the right thing and yeah, I a, my client do the right thing.
1: I had an attorney come out and work with me, and we did the model right before we started. And I said, um, what is in your T-line now? And he said that the jurors are going to kill my case. And I said, let's pick something else. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, you can pick whatever you want. This is fantasy land. What would you, what do you prefer to believe and think? And he said, the jurors love me. And I said, great. That's what we're going to think this whole weekend. And he took that all the way in his trial. He would text me every day up until trial. Jurors love me. Sorry, the jurors love me. The jurors love me. I mean, that was, became his mantra. He walked into trial on a really hard case and $10 million verdict later. Jurors loved him because he kept he decided in that room that you've been in many times, Michael, the jurors love me and he created that reality. And people might be listening to this and go, well, this is bullshit. It's not. Here's why. And I'm not a woo woo person at all. When you, whatever you think about you create because it comes out in your nonverbal communication and that communicates to the people around you and then they respond based on what they're seeing. So this is actual scientifically based communication science here. What you think everything you do and all your behaviors come first from how you think because your thinking creates your emotions and your emotions create your behavior so if you want to fix your behavior and more importantly your results it all starts with your thinking you get to decide what to think and you know it's funny because um you had said to me once michael in a coaching session you told me to journal sorry what does that mean (laughs) what it actually just literally means is write down your thoughts it's a great way To see the bullshit thoughts in your head. Because I think half the time we don't even recognize that they're there. So every morning I do a a little thing called morning pages. Where for three pages, longhand, I just write. I just empty my brain on the page. And it could just be the most bullshit, stupid stuff. And it's a way for me to go, oh, that was weird that all that was in there. And I just clear it out and then I move along my day. So that could also be really helpful. First way of changing your thoughts is recognizing what they are. The bullshit things you're thinking.
2: Another thing I noticed you doing with us yesterday is you kept asking us what the case is worth, Mm -hmm. Uh, because we have a number we're asking for, and uh, but somehow repeating it makes us believe it more.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, I had. um, It's funny how you came in and then you left with 10 million more ask. (laughs) That happens a lot in my office. Um, But. I, you know, I think about the hundred million dollar dram shop case that I worked this last summer, and um, where three cyclists, two were killed and one was seriously injured, and we, the ask was a hundred million. And I, I said, you know, I was out there for a week, and I said we are going to say the word a hundred million all day long, every day, until it just becomes so easy to roll off at the tip of our tongue. And so, you know, we'd walk in and I'd be like, you look like 100 million bucks today. Oh, my God, it's like 100 million degrees outside. I mean, we just kept saying 100 million (laughs) so that that word was in our mouth and in our tissues so that by the time we got in front of the jury the three times we did that week, it was just normal. Because, again, the jury takes their cues from you. If you come out there and you ask for 100 million and you're just like $100 million, they're going to be like, oh, it's not worth 100 million. But if you come out and you're like, this case is worth $100 million. You know, in that case, we're in very conservative Texas. We said $100 million in Wadir, Half the jurors almost fell out of their chair. And by the time we were done with Wadir and opening, nearly every juror, I'm not making this up. These three attorneys will back me up. Nearly every att- juror in all three mock jurors from Craigslist in Midland, Texas said, can we give more? They didn't think it was enough. So it's huge. You have to own your number and then the jurors will own it too.
2: Absolutely. So kind of skipping ahead a little bit. So we've done our work. We've got our, our minds and our emotions right to walk into the courtroom and it's time to pick a jury. What are some things that, that you found are helpful in moving the jurors from hostage towards the hero role during dire?
1: Well I suggest that the um, the listeners go back to the first podcast I recorded with you because in that podcast I walked them through the from hostage to hero method the four steps throughout trial okay. so I don't want to re reword that, but here's what no, I will say, yeah. is the big thing about voir dire for me, and this happens before you walk into court, is that you create a voir dire that's issue-oriented, and so people always say, what do you mean issue-oriented? Well, most of the voir dire's that I've seen are relationship-oriented voir dire's. What are your hobbies? You know, what are you, what are you reading? It's kind of like you're watching a first date <laughs> instead of actual jury selection, and I think if you understand that jurors are hostages, and they don't want to be there, that they want to know why are they there and what do they have to do. And so when you can answer that question and you answer it quickly at the beginning, you increase what I call permission, and that is how receptive they are to you. So they've been waiting sometimes for hours. In fact, I just posted to the From Hostage Hero Facebook group a couple weeks ago, an actual juror on Instagram says, I've been sitting here for eight hours eight hours they still hadn't been called I can't even imagine can you imagine of uh, sitting there for eight hours and being pulled into the jury room finally and the first person coming up and doing some kind of comedy routine and asking what your hobbies are I would explode if I was a juror <laughs> and so my big issue or my big point with attorneys is get to the point and get there quickly we're here to talk about uh, workplace safety for example in your case Michael or we're here to talk about um, hospitals safety. And boom, you will actually see the jurors visibly relax because finally someone is telling them what they're here to do.
3: Each year, the law firm of Callen Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss, and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case, and if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. And now back to the show. So that would be my first
1: thing about voir dire, is that you really, you look at it from the juror's point of view. They are not there to be friends with you. They have not come to have a relationship with you. They are there to understand what their job is and how to do that job. And when you do that, you really create permission. I mean, think about when you, when Maybe I'm not a games person. (laughs) Every time I go to a party, which is not very often, people are like, let's play a game. I'm like, oh God, help me. And so they finally talk me into it. What's the first thing I ask? What's the first thing I ask? What are the rules? How does this work? And that's the same thing for jurors. They want to know how does this work? They're they're in this space of, I don't get this. Am I gonna get it wrong? How long do I have to stay? You know, so on and so forth. And so That's really, I think, the mindset. You come in, my people are here, and my people need to know what this is about in order to self-select to be on this team. And so you'll get there more quickly when you're talking about the issues in your case. Now, I don't mean the evidence. I don't mean the facts. I mean the principles in your case. Responsibility, accountability, gambling with people's lives, you know, profits before people. You're talking about these big-time things that that all jurors can rally around and that would be my second thing is that you have to go into voir dire, and this is where I see most attorneys do not do this and see it as a group process versus an individual process y'all have been trained in individual communication which is not what you need to know you need to know group communication to be an excellent trial attorney
2: so give some examples of what the difference is between individual communication and group communication
1: all right. So a, a big example is, and y'all know this um, because you've been trained in this. And I, again, I'm not knocking down any training. I think there are good things here. I just think when you you got it, we got to put these skills into context. So most trial attorneys have been told and that they need to connect with individual jurors. They need to make lots of eye contact. They need to make them feel heard. They need to communicate. They care. They need to create rapport, all of those things. Right. And the problem with that is that that is just freaking weird in a group of 12 or 40 or 80 people. I mean, how odd is it? (laughs) I mean, let's think about this, Michael, to sit there and super connect with this one person while 79 other people look on. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Not to mention that you're boring the rest of the other people. They're not there to have watch you create connection with individuals, what they're there to do and what they're going to have to do, this is what we have to remind ourselves, is do a group process. So your first role, your first point of, of, of contact when you walk in, another mindset piece is, I'm here to create a group. Because we tend to think a bunch of people in a room is a group. Nope. That's a bunch of individuals. And you Keep them as individuals when you do the things you've been trained to do, which is create connections with each and every one of them. You, They remain unformed because of your training. I mean, just think about that for a minute. You go in there, and not to mention, it's absolutely crazy making. I mean, most of my clients are like, I don't even know how to do that. How do I connect with 80 people one-on-one or even 12? I said, you can't. And, and my attorney's visibly relaxed. They go, really? I don't have to do that? I go, no. Your whole point is to go in there with a group focus, get them talking and interacting with each other around the concepts and around the things. You'll find a couple things. One, it's way easier. It's way easier. And two, you're training them for the job they have to do, which is work as a group behind closed doors. You do not want to send 12 or six or eight individuals into the verdict room because then It's much harder to get a verdict out of individuals. You want to send a group behind closed doors and have that group, that one thing, get you your verdict. And you'll find once you learn how to do this, that everything becomes much easier.
2: One thing I've learned from you, and it's something I wish I knew earlier because I think I've caused harm in some of my trials by doing it the traditional way, is that a lot of us trial lawyers, we start off, once we get the jury warmed up, with our Worst, biggest problems in the case, like my client wasn't wearing a seatbelt. My client was undocumented. uh I don't have a lot of visible property damage. Yet. Will you really believe my client got hurt? Something like that. And then you get, you start off with a lot of negativity, and it just seems to, even though we're supposed to be looking for the bad jurors when we do that and finding the ones that might save us, it does seem to bleed over into this kind of negative aura on the case. And you have a different approach to that.
1: Yeah, I do. And I, I think um, if we just look at some social science here in terms of primacy, recency, you know, whatever you put first or last, you make important. So when you come out with your your biggest, baddest fact, you go, this is really important. That's what you're communicating nonverbally. And that's not what we want to do because it's not important. The defense is going to make it important. Why would we join with the defense and go, this is also important? And I just want to say it first. Hell no, that's not what you want to do. Again, when I go back to the idea that you guys have more power than you know, if you would just be able to learn how to use it, (laughs) this is a great example in that, what you do and the timing that you do it, and you know, Michael, that I talk a lot about timing and and what questions should be asked first and when and the whole thing. The reason for that is because you have the power to shape the conversation and make it go the way you wanna go. Group dynamics are so powerful. This is back to why we don't want to do individual wadir. And I know sometimes that that's not within our control. Sometimes the judge doesn't allow panel wadir, and that's outside of the scope of this conversation. But if you have the ability to do panel and you're with the whole group, group wadir is so important because you get the group putting pressure on each other to rally around ideas and you can get them to do that. If you pick the right ideas, this goes back to the idea of principles versus, you know, making it about your client or about the evidence or about the facts. So, you know, a principle in your case and other cases that I've worked in is, you know, workplace safety. It's, it's important that employees keep their employer or employers keep their employees safe. And you'd be very far pressed to find a juror that doesn't believe that. And so you know, Cialdini talks about how you know whatever when it, somebody makes a public commitment. And I'm talking about Cialdini um, with the the book Influence. Whenever somebody makes a public commitment, they are unlikely to reverse themselves. And so, a lot of times, uh, attorneys will say, "Well, I am here for money, and I don't care that they know that, and I want to say it at the beginning, and I want to get the truth." It's said to them, "You're in no position to get the truth. At the beginning of Wadir, jurors are hostages. The only thing that they are." Uh, Looking to do is, how do I get out of this? So you come out and say, I'm here looking for money, and who has a problem with that? Every hand's going to go up because they all want the fuck out. That is not the truth. That's not really the true jurors. You have to understand the jurors are in fight or flight. They don't know how this works. They don't know why they're there. They don't understand that they have an opportunity to become heroes. If they, and we need to show them that opportunity so that they can consciously, when they are not in fight or flight, choose that. But we keep them in fight or flight when we just come out with our big problem in our case. We've got to slowly lead them to what this case is about and that you jurors have an opportunity to create the type of world that we all want to live in. So hear me out, because that's what the kinds of big things we're talking about in this case. So you start with big principles, workplace safety, safety in our hospitals, personal responsibility, whatever it might be, and then you throw your big issues, the things that the defense is going to to lobby. at Most of the time, sometimes we deal with them head on, definitely. But a lot of times I'm I'm liking more often, and we talked about this yesterday, Michael, using them as a devil's advocate question. So for example, in a case where a person has um, died or been injured, we talk about the value of life and how valuable it is. And you really get the jurors rallying around that idea. And then you throw in a devil's advocate question like, yeah, but what if they were here illegally? Are life still valuable and <laughs> it's amazing how the outliers will show themselves but your group will get even stronger but you can't use a devil's advocate question it's funny going back to 12 heroes one voice I um he works a lot with the devil's advocate question I love that in there um but it's amazing how the group once formed around an idea again here's our group formation You can't shake them, and the devil's advocate question actually strengthens their resolve around an idea, which is doing the opposite of throwing your bad fact out there before they're formed, when they're still in fight or flight, and going, I'm trying to get at the truth. You're not going to get the truth. That's the whole point. You're just not going to get it then. You may get it later once the group is formed, but you won't get it at the beginning.
2: Anything else on Vordara you want to touch on?
1: Well, you and I talked a little bit about how connected it is to opening. And I think a lot of attorneys don't understand that. Um, I, I so didn't
2: before I heard it from you.
1: You did or you didn't?
2: I did not. i never heard it from anyone else before I heard it from you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really feel like voir dire and opening are two sides of a conversation. So lots of times when I'm working with someone on opening, um, and I think even you said this yesterday, even though you knew this, but lots of times they'll say, well, I don't know if I can get a- away with that, or I don't know if I can do that. And my answer to that is always, yeah, you can't get away with it unless you've primed the jury for it in ear, And that's when the light bulb starts to go on like it did with you yesterday. You're like, oh, of course. So a lot of the things we're going to be wanting to do in opening, we can't get away with unless we've already discussed it in ear. So uh, this isn't a great example because it's not about getting away with something, but here's a great example about connection. So in the Dram Shop case, we our whole theme in that case was bars can prevent drunk driving. And the good ones do. That was our whole theme in that case. And so in voir dire, we asked the jurors, how as a society, because we're, we're really making this feel like everyone is coming together to prevent drunk driving and bars also play a part in that. So we said, how do as a society do we prevent drunk driving? Like as parents, how, what do we do? And one of the women uh, said, well, as a mom, I've told my kids, you call me. If you if you're out and you're drinking, if you're not supposed to, you're not going to get in trouble. Do not drive. I will come and pick you up. And a lot of parents were like, mm-hmm, yeah, I've taught my kid that too. When we went to opening and the attorney said bars can't prevent drunk driving, the good ones do, he started his teaching session with, as a society, we've recognized that drunk driving is a problem. And so we have come together to fix that. And we have programs in our schools that, that teach our students not to drink and drive as parents. And he looked directly at the mom. We, have, we tell our kids You call me. And he used her language. Talk about connection. I mean, that's where connection happens. He's saying, I heard you and you are a big piece of this case. This affects you and everybody you care about. And that that was one of the juries that were like, can we give more money? And, and so that's what I'm talking about. The connection is knowing what you're going to say in opening. You need to go back to Voidir and say, what kinds of things, what conversation can I start over here so that when I'm finally in opening, it this is old hat. We've already talked about this. And now I'm just kind of putting it together in the presentation form. It's like, I've got and discussed it with you. Now let me kind of put it together. It's our opening now. It's something we've created together. And I think the, the attorneys that don't get that are really missing a huge huge opportunity for both connection and to make your opening easier to do.
2: Another thing I want to talk to you about, because it's something that, again, I'm, I've been learning from you that I've not really either other people weren't teaching it or maybe I didn't listen well enough and didn't learn it from other people. And it's the concept of managing energy. And I'm not really, let's just stick with opening. Like when I started as a lawyer, I was very animated, but I talked very fast and I was very high energy the whole opening. Uh, mm-hmm. Then when I realized I had people tell me that people didn't get what I was saying because I was talking too fast, um, then I started working on slowing down. But by my slowing down, I ended up being a fairly low energy, passionless uh, opening statement. Uh And now that I'm working with you, we're working on the concept of managing energy. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so we talked about this yesterday about how, I think I just read a Paul Luvera quote, maybe it was in um, 12 Heroes One Voice, where Paul says, it is under my estimation that the jury is most of the time bored. (laughs) I was like, yes, yes, Paul, they are. And so... Part of that is because you know our openings are too long. I mean, the opening you walked away with yesterday, Michael, was what we said, 18 minutes, which is, and it was beautiful. We did everything we needed to do in 18 minutes. Not that I'm suggesting podcast listeners that every opening be that short, but the point is, is that jurors get bored. So what we wanna do, and this is in any type of presentation, and for anyone who really wants to see a masterclass in how to manage the energy of a presentation, Go watch the, the comedy um, Netflix special called Nanette. It is, and she actually even talks about it at the end. It is a masterclass on how to manage the energy of, of a presentation. But that's exactly what, what it is. It sounds exactly like it is. There are times that you want to bring the energy up and you're going to speak a little more quickly and your voice is going to be a little more animated. And even right now, although I'm a podcast, I'm using my gestures. And then there's a time you're going to want to bring things down and you really want it to sink in. And so the general rule of thumb is that when you're storytelling, when you're trying to move the plot along, when you are excited about something you're teaching about, energy's up. When you're talking about a death or rules or something you really want the jury to get, the palms go down, the voice goes down, the pausing gets longer. So I'm thinking of Eric Penn's case in the in the Warner Trucking, and there's a concept that um, I talk about in my work and it it doesn't work for every opening, but in many openings it does. We found one in yours yesterday. We call it ringing the bell. So there's a a phrase that we want to keep repeating through opening over and over and over again. And in, in Eric's case, it was, you know, trucking case on ice. He would tell the story, tell the story, tell the story, bring the energy up. And then he would bring it down and ring the bell and say, and yet the driver continued to drive 65 miles per hour. Then you bring the energy up, energy up, tell more of the story and then ring the bell. And yet the driver continued to drive. 65 miles per hour. And as you saw, Michael, yesterday, it's really impactful because it keeps the jury on the edge of their seat. The energy goes up and then we bring it down and it goes up. And it's so much more engaging than watching something in that kind of monotone or even totally high or totally low. It's, it's got variety. And that's a huge part of keeping the jury engaged and with you. And it also shows the jury what they should be feeling and when So, so often, lots of times ago, and then she died. Now, the reason we're here, I'm like, whoa, somebody died. (laughs) Like, stop. Why are you smiling? Why'd you go so fast, right? You've got to teach the jury what they should be feeling emotionally. I always say you have to go first. If you want the jury to feel sad, you have to feel sad. I don't mean you have to be crying, but you have to feel it's got to be there. It's got to be a part of of your emotional makeup in that moment. And if you want the jury to feel angry, you have to be angry. It doesn't mean you communicate that anger, but it's got to be there. You go first. You show the jury the way. And a lot of that is done through the management of energy.
2: Yeah. And, and I think to do that, I mean, for our listeners, the the necessity of rehearsal and repetition because if you're trying to remember what the content is mm-hmm. and you're trying to think of how to word something, then you can't be thinking about managing energy because yeah, you're, you're not, not there. You have to have, yeah, because when I did my first thing, I was not managed. when I did our first run yesterday and I was thinking about content, you know, I'm unknowingly smiling when I'm talking about someone getting killed uh, mm-hmm. because I'm thinking about something else, not thinking about The person getting killed when i'm saying it which is awfully incongruent i'm ashamed you know that i i still after 20 something years would accidentally do something like that but if i didn't go and spend all day yesterday rehearsing and then say no let's work on this let's work you know how do we change this how do we change this and then you know what i'm going to try to do is one or more times a day from now until i get the real opening and trial i'm going to have to rehearse it again to keep it fresh but also you know to be in the practice of managing energy, because it's not necessarily natural.
1: Right, and, and I want to change your wording from rehearsal to practice. So okay, thank you. Yeah, and, and, and here's why, because I think when people hear rehearse, they think, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to rehearse this line by line, and as you know, we never once yesterday either wrote out the whole opening, one, word by word, nor when you performed it, did you ever say it the same way? any of those times and so that's the difference between rehearsal and practice the goal here is not to get it down perfectly word for word the goal is to know it very well in your bones, in the structure, so that regardless of what comes out, because it's come out a little different every time, that you don't have to be thinking about that and that you can play with your gestures and your range and your managing of energy. So the best openings are ones that are not word for word, but where the attorney knows like how we did it yesterday, Michael, where we worked on each section separately so that you can kind of compartmentalize in your mind the energy you want for each section and what that section entails, and that you just play with it live. It doesn't matter that it doesn't come out the exact same way every single time. The practice is for the ease in delivering information, not rehearsing it word for word. So I just wanted to throw that in there.
2: Thank you. Yeah. So what are some other things, you know, and I know you've got a great book, you've got a podcast, you've got a Facebook Live group, and then people that want more, you, you offer coaching classes, all kinds of stuff. But what are some other things just in this podcast that you want to talk about, an opening that we can do to improve our our results?
1: I think the number one thing that any attorney can do, whether it's opening uh, or voir or any other part of trial, but those are the easiest ones, opening being the easiest, is to videotape yourself. And everyone goes, oh, I don't want to see myself on video. And then so my answer to that always is, well, then you don't want to improve. I mean, just like we were talking about the um, the mindset work and. The only way you can change your thoughts is by first knowing what they are. The same thing is true here. You know, Michael, because I forced you to watch a video. That's part of our coaching contract. And all of my studio people who come out, they just drag themselves in Sunday morning and they're just like hating their life. Like, oh, God, now i got to watch what I did yesterday with the two mock juries. But everybody leaves those sessions going, wow, that was so helpful. Like the smiling when you, you know, talked about a death. You would never know that unless I was there pointing it out to you or a video camera was pointing out to you. So if you want to get really good at this work, the first thing is to own that you're amazing. The second thing is to know what you're doing non-verbally intimately so you know all your weird quirks you know that you pull at your jacket or you know that you you know always drop your gestures or whatever because that's the first step to changing it we can't change what we're not aware of and so if every attorney would videotape themselves even in their living room in fact a lot of my coaching clients do that and they just send me the video to look at Even without an audience present, we can find things that they can improve on, and they start to get to know their patterns and the weird nonverbal shit that they're doing, and then they start to improve. Those are always my best students, my best clients, the ones that make the biggest strides, is that they're not unwilling, to double negative, to look at what they're doing so that they can improve it. I think if you start there, boy, the rest of it is going to come real easy. Cause then you have all the things that in my book and whatnot to help you start to change it, but you can't change what you don't recognize.
2: And, you know, it, it really does make such a huge difference. I had a lawyer that I've been, we've been co-counseling cases for 20 years together. Uh, and he's seen, me speak, you know, tons of times. And actually this last year he came up to me after uh, a boot camp that I was putting on and said, there is something that's changing you. i i you know, you are more energetic, and more dynamic. I've never seen you speak like that before in the 20 years that I've seen you speak, uh, which made me feel really good. But it, it does make a difference. And I liken it to exercise. Uh, yeah. Watching the video like you don't you don't feel like doing it. It's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to put the clothes on and get yourself out the door. You put it off and you make all kinds of excuses. But once you get out and do it, you feel so much better and you, get, and you improve, but you also feel better about it. I think Massive. watching the video
1: is the same type of thing. Yeah, you you after after you do it after a while, you just start to get rid of all the oh, I look fat or what's wrong with my hair. You just you really start now going as in as a detective. Okay, have I stopped doing that one thing? Have I done this thing? Oh, I've improved there, and it becomes this really great self improvement technique. And after a while, it just you know the rest of it's old hat. You just start getting to know yourself, really, and what you're doing non-verbally. I taped everything I did for the first five years of my career and watched it back. People always come, oh, you're such a great speaker. How would you get that? I said, I watched everything I did and just self-selected to be excellent at speaking. And and I'm still doing that when I can to watch, to continue to improve. But that's the biggest thing if you want to increase how you show up in front of an audience is to actually know what you do and not be guessing at it. Which is why we include so much video in the work when you come out to work with me or in our small groups.
2: Absolutely. Sorry. Thank you so much for talking to us. I know that, you know, I am getting a ton out of working with you. Uh, Some of my listeners might want to learn more about you or maybe even work with you. So what is the how do you get into the story world? (laughs)
1: So, um, unfortunately, I'm not taking any more one-on-one clients right now, but there are a couple of ways that you can get involved in, I'm going to call it the From Hostage to Hero universe. So, go to FromHostageToHero.com, and there you can um, learn how to join our Facebook group. Uh, It's a closed group, so that's a place where we discuss the podcast, we discuss concepts of the book, you can ask questions, and there's no jurors or anyone else in there looking at your answers, and... uh, that's where I'm really available to you for free for anyone who wants my time and, and wants to just chat about things. So that's a great way. Listen to the podcast from Hostage Shahiro. Leave us a review. The more reviews we get, as, as you know, in this podcast, the more we can reach people. Uh, get the book from Trial Guides. Also leave us a review there. And um, we have our studio classes. Uh, February is already sold out for Voidir. There's a four-day class that takes six attorneys. April has four seats left, and that's also Voidir. And then, we have an opening statement studio in July and then a couple more in um, the fall. That's a great way to start your work with me is come out, work in a small group. And then in this fall, we're going to be launching a membership and we're only going to open it for five days and then it's going to close. So if you are interested in getting in on a membership with me, which is videos and uh, trial workshops and all kinds of things that are online, you don't have to even come and fly out to, to to work with me, that's going to be the best way, and that you want to get on our our, our list, our mailing list at FromHostageHero.com. If you have some trial consulting you want to do with me, go to SorryDLM.com, and that'll walk you through the options for trial consulting.
2: And I do really recommend at least starting with the the small group workshops, because with only six people, you actually get hands on and coaching. But then, at least people I've talked to have gone to years group workshops, it seems like the the group was also collaborative and good people. And yeah, it we, really we seems to so
1: brought people out of good. We spend a lot of time creating a group dynamic, and especially in the voidier classes, you get two mock juries. So you will learn how to form the group, read the group, do all the group stuff I talked about today. And and by the way, the studio classes are available on sorrydlm.com, not on from hostage to So if you're interested in a studio class, go there. And yeah, that's a great experience. People have come back two, three, four, I think even one person's come back five times. They're real popular.
2: Well, sorry. Thank you so much. I look forward. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks.
1: And
0: uh, I look forward to
2: to it. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you're listening to this episode on a mobile device, please click on ratings and review and leave our show a five-star rating and write a review. And if you're listening to this episode from our website, please leave a five-star rating on the episode page. We'd love to reach more listeners, and doing this will help more attorneys find this podcast. You can also visit our website at www.triallawyernation.com to opt into our mailing list so you can stay updated on our new episodes. I promise we won't spam you. And thanks to your feedback, we've improved our podcast website. There's now a resources tab that you can click that shows you all the books we've mentioned on our podcast. If you have a Facebook account, please send us a request to join our private group called Trial Lawyer Nation. Insider Circle. This exclusive group will allow you to hear about our guests before an episode airs, interact with the show, and get a sneak peek at some of the -the behind-the-scenes moments. I love to hear from all of you, and our Table Talk episodes are based solely on questions from our fans. So please continue to send us emails at podcast at com. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation.
3: Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss, and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case. And if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisey Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail.